When I consider how my light is spent, there half my days in this dark world and wide, and that one talent which is death to hide, lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent to serve there with my maker and present my true account, lest he returning chide. Doth God exact day labor, light denied, I finally ask, but patience to prevent that murmur soon replied. God doth not need either man's works or his own gifts. Who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly. Thousands at his bidding speed and post o'er land and ocean without rest. They also serve who only stand and wait. Uh, that young people I'm opening up the show with because uh, December 8th uh, it's going to be the birthday of John Milton my all time favorite writer and poet uh, author of Paradise Lost uh, the epic poem which I think is the greatest work man could ever author and uh, I'm just a fan of Milton he changed my life, changed my opinion how I look at things uh, changed my major in college so I thought I'd honor the birthday of the poet John Milton, intellect John Milton, man of God John Milton, uh, who was born on December 8th in, I think, 1608. So that would make him, what, 414 years old if he was still on this earth. So had to get that out of the way. Uh, other thing is, uh, got uh, my other uh, technician, uh, podcast engineer, Mr. Studio Matt Washington here today. Uh, my usual in engineer, Andy, his wife had a baby yesterday, had their first child. So congratulations to Andy and his wife. Uh, and so we are moving on today. Uh, I told you my guest is going to be part two uh, interview with Marsha uh, Dameron. So she's coming up and such an energetic, accomplished young lady. So stay tuned for that. A uh, couple of quick things before I go and we get my Sean because I know your time is valuable. Uh, someone had sent me uh, an email asking me who I voted for because of some topic I, I, I put on it and, and uh, I probably should respond to it. And I, I told the people when it was brought to me, and this is a true story, I don't tell my wife who I voted for. And I know in this day uh, and age of political Everything is politics and political discord. Uh, people want to know that, but basically none of your people's business who you voted for. And if you wanted to share, that's good. So I don't do that. Uh, the other thing is, uh, and speaking of political discord, and i got a couple more things we can on the Misha here. Um, speaking of political discord, uh, I, I got this bright idea, and I'll talk about it more uh, on some future show. Uh, bring back the draft. If we want to uh, help start uniting the country, bring back the draft. I think eliminating the draft has led to a lot of division in countries and forgot and make us as people forget that we're all in this together and we all have to sacrifice together. But I'll have some more on that. And then finally, you know, my pet peeve is one of my pet peeves is education. I think the four pillars uh, 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 addressing a lot of these issues in our communities is economics, uh, it's education. It's cultural as in family and it's spiritual as in religious or 
a uh, moral compass. Those four things I think we need. And I don't think anything else is going to work myself. we got to put the family back together for sure. But education is one of them. And I've been saying for the longest, uh, educators will not close the achievement gaps in these inner cities and in these tough neighborhoods. Uh, one of the reasons because, and I'm just going to be frank about it, most of them got a liberal point of view on things and people and things like that, and they feel sorry for people and don't hold people accountable and don't have a lot of faith and confidence that people can overcome their circumstance and be whatever they want to be. So it starts with a basic attitude toward the kids that they're teaching, which I don't have that. Uh, but uh, one of my pet peeves is the education achievement gap, which is not only a, a gap in education, it's a, it's a life achievement gap. Education achievement gap is a life achievement gap, and that's a pet peeve of mine, and I have a lot of experience with these schools and education, and I challenge any expert out there, any person with a PhD in education, been teaching for 25 years, and they think they know everything, uh, just give me a call, and let's have a little dialogue about it. Uh, so that's uh, uh, one thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, I've been read in the papers where uh, they are making excuses and for all the students that we're losing here in the Minneapolis uh, uh, public schools. Look, people, the reason we're losing students is because they aren't good at educating our kids in the inner city. And uh, there's a lot of people talking about that, but this is where I'm going. Uh, I'm for school choice, and we need to uh, take a eliminate the monopoly that the public schools have on the education of our kids and bring competition there. And there's so many things I can point to, but I was reading recently, uh, the Minneapolis Public School has an annual budget, I think, of someone said a $900 million. Uh, only 400 and some million, I think, is being spent uh, on actually the education of the students. The rest of it is what we call overhead. And there's too much overhead in these schools. There's probably too many schools, and we need to make some tough choices coming up. Uh, we need to open up competition. We need to have let parents have choices. I'm in favor of vouchers. Uh, I trust business people uh, to make good business decisions, and a lot of this is business. So anyway, uh, the point is, is that Minneapolis have a, an overhead rate of 50%. Uh, more money is going towards non-student type things than student type things. And I will end it with my sometime somewhat uh, arrogant kind of statement. But to all the educators out there who's blaming all kinds of reasons why they can't educate these inner city kids, and I'm serious about that, give me the money and I'll educate them. Guaranteed. If I don't, you can have the money back. And that should be the public school's uh, uh, attitude, too. If we don't educate the kids, you can have the money back. But they're going to take the money and run like most government organizations because they, they don't have to be better. Uh, they don't have to compete. They're going to be in business, period. Uh, and I think we need to change that whole dynamics where if you aren't successful, you lose the money. And that's where I'm at. Once we start doing that, open up the competition. Uh, open up other things. Uh, a lot of time, education is really uh, something that in, is is more like indoctrination than education, and it puts you in a box of thinking. And some of these problems going to require us to think outside the box. Coming up, Miss Maisha uh, Dameron, and we're going to continue her uh, great uh, accomplishments in life. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thanks. All right, everyone, as promised, uh, we have Miss 
uh, Maisha Dameron back uh, for part two. Uh, she was had so much knowledge and inspiration to share. We couldn't do it all in one program, so we had to have this young lady back. Uh, we found out a little bit about her, uh, just an entrepreneur uh, into uh, Airbnbs, uh, auto realm. Uh, I probably can't, can't remember all the things this young lady was doing or is doing. Uh, she's a mother of three. I think she doesn't mind me letting you know that. She even told us her age. I'll just say 30-ish something there. And if she want to remind you the exact age, that'll be great. But uh, 37? Yes. Okay. Okay. See, she just reminded you of that. Uh, welcome, Maisha. Welcome back. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well. Okay. Uh, I think last time we left off i think you were talking about just your whole approach to uh finding your happiness in life and and how you uh do not do things that do not does not make you happy and your routines and how you take care of yourself spiritually and mentally and uh, we'll start there and then we'll move on to some other things i know you got uh you got some book launches coming up uh you're going to be traveling a little bit and uh, once again, just share a lot of your philosophy uh, you share, which I like too. just some of the things you shared with us the last time that you've already let your children know that uh, you're not leaving them much of anything. I think I'm, I think I'm putting that correctly. And, and, and I kind of like that. Uh, and I tell people one thing I really, really appreciate it. Uh, as soon as I, I was able to understand what my mom and dad was saying, they were preaching independence. And taking care of yourself and, and they was just putting a lot of good messages and values in me so I really appreciate parents who really uh, understand at an early age we need to start setting expectations uh, for our children in life so uh, how's the week has gone for you uh, Maisha oh it has gone so well as you can imagine right before the book launch we just have so many things to solidify and approve and all of that good jazz so I've been busy with that, along with, of course, finishing up all of my stuff for graduation because the same day, and this was not coincidental, I promise, uh, the same day I graduate is the same day that my book is released. So I've been trying to make sure that I get everything uh, done and completed on all ends. So I've just been, you know, really focused at trying to accomplish all of my goals. So my week has been a little busy and I'm anticipating um, all of this to be over and I cannot wait to get to Utah to let my hair down and just ski and eat some great food. Wait a minute. Utah, hair down, uh, ski, uh, eat great food. We're going to come. We're going to circle back around to that because you, you know you're not meeting the stereotype here now, Marcia. <laughs> what, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know too many sisters out there skiing in Utah. And <laughs> oh, come on. Look, that just... That just says something about my my uh, challenged uh, childhood. But I, I, I tell, well, let's let's not go any further. Tell us about this ski trip you're going on. Well, I actually learned how to ski in Minnesota because, of course, we're from Minnesota. So we used to go to Buck Hill Mountain a lot for uh, field trips in Minnesota. So I learned how to ski then, and it always have been a little bit of passion of mine. And then, of course, when I had kids, we went. 
And it's just my youngest who was born in Texas. She just turned 10 on December 4th. But he is the youngest of the group. And he never seen snow until he was five. So when I see his reaction to snow, I was so overwhelmed. It was just the funniest thing. And I fell in love. And ever since then, we either go to Colorado, Steamboat. Uh, we've been to Aspen once, but we normally go to Steamboat. So we go to Colorado. We go skiing and snowboarding. And this particular um, year, we decided, because we don't really do Christmas. We don't celebrate like with all the gifts and stuff like that. We used to. But now we decide to just take trips as families for birthdays and holidays, you know. So this year, I actually got invited uh, to Utah for uh, with with a chef to stage and you know kind of review his uh, restaurant and his cuisine and his style. And so I just merged the two together, and I said I've never been to Utah to ski, and they have great resorts. I mean, great, fabulous. And so I decided to take the entire fam. Uh, out to Utah and combine the both. So I'll get a chance to work and stage and eat some great food there uh, with one of the chefs that I kind of admire. And then um, we're going to go snowboarding and go skiing and enjoy just the atmosphere in Utah. I love it. I love it. Let's remind the audience, I guess, of some of your background because uh, you have uh, extensive experience in the food industry and uh, just the hospitality industry, period. Why don't you remind our, our audience uh, the type that you've been a chef uh, and things like that and your involvement uh, in the past in the restaurant and entertainment business. What all have you done and achieved there for those who may not have caught our first uh, interview, part of our interview? Sure. So, yes. So I became a chef very, very early on in my career. Um, I was actually, I wanted to be an FBI agent. And at the time, I was just now becoming a mother and decided that maybe that wouldn't be the best, you know, form of action. And so I decided to go with my next best passion, which was cooking. So I ended up attending Le Cordon Bleu, getting my associates. And then I worked at Disney World, changed my life, completely eye opener, had a pleasure. And then I decided to go back to school and get the bachelor's for business and restaurant management. So that's when I pretty much really started my career, been in management ever since I was like 21 and worked in so many places, done so many great things, worked for corporate America, worked for franchises and ended up the last six years of my career in the chefing world. Uh, I was a executive sous chef for a hospital. Um, great experience. Um, it was very interesting. Learned a lot and retired myself from there uh, last year. So, yeah, so I have a lot, a lot of experience and I'm very passionate about cooking. I still keep in contact with a lot of the people in the industry and I still deal. A, one of my streams of income still have to do with me being a chef. So, yes, I actually even offer personal chefing experiences and personal chef for my Airbnb business as well, which is very lucrative because for one personal chef session, that can be anywhere from $600 to $1,500. So you mentioned, I caught that, uh, different streams of income here, which says to me that you're very much conscious of personal financial planning. And my question is, uh, how long have you been uh, conscious of personal financial planning and at a very young age, and where did you get it from? 
Well, no, not at a very young age. Uh, I was not like many African-American kids and even adults. Um, I was not taught about credit and finance and business credit and, you know, all that good jazz. Uh, I acknowledged it probably around when I was 25 that something had to change, and it did. And I started educating myself and doing a lot of research and moving forward that way. My first wealth coach was JT Fox, and that is when I first paid and solicited my first ever wealth coach. And as far as wealth is concerned, do you mind sharing in general, or however, however much you feel comfortable with, what are some of your goals in that area as far as wealth and, and uh, once you accumulated your plans for that wealth? The, my only plans when it comes to wealth is to make sure you give back and serve others. All right. Oh, that's a good answer. That's a great answer, as a matter of fact. Now, before we move on, because we got a lot of good things to get into here, uh, I'm not going to uh, skip over your experience at Cordon Bleu uh, Culinary Arts School. And this is where I'm coming from. It's kind of like a slight curveball, but I'm comfortable that you can handle this very easily. Now, you've lived in Minnesota, and you live down south in Texas. My question for you, Maisha, uh, isn't the food a, taste a lot better down south than up here? <laughs> you have your staple items that just taste better in different regions of where you're at. And you'll learn that as a chef, too. It's just like how, you know, serving size is completely different than the United States than over in Europe. Right, you know, right, right. It's, it's, it's the same thing. So it just depends on what you are comparing it to. So it's just probably a figment of my imaginations that uh, most of the food up here in Minnesota, to me, uh, have very little taste in it. And that they, especially when it comes to fried food, which most Minnesota, a lot of Minnesotans doesn't like, and you know, they fry everything down south, basically. But it, it will look just so perfect. And you bite into it, and there's no seasoning at all on it. And you gotta. It seems like Minnesota philosophy is that is the flavors in the sauce. They give you some sauce to go with it that you dip it in, but the meat itself has no flavor. But like I say, I'm gonna uh, say that's just a figment of my imagination. Like, I'm not on to something here, Maisha. Don't if it's, is it totally my imagination that uh, you northern Minnesota chefs. Uh, don't appreciate flavor? Um, you know what? I wouldn't say that. I would say it's based on their goal. And sometimes things are prepped incorrectly. When I say that, I mean sometimes people season their chicken on the skin versus seasoning the chicken and the flour. People don't understand how right. that is. And it's the same thing with the buttermilk. You know, you want to, when you're frying chicken, you want to season all components and you do not want to over season. So if we say use four teaspoons, you want to divide that between all three. You want to divide that between your flour, your buttermilk, and your actual meat itself. So that it's not too salty. But it's just about making sure that you're following the proper prepping procedures before you're cooking it. To ensure that your food is seasoned correctly. And, you know, everyone go for different things. Some Like for me, I no longer cook with salt. And a lot of people are like, oh, my God, I know your food is going to be so bland. No, my food is never bland because I understood the assignment. So if you go to a health-conscious restaurant, you may not, you, you have to 
adapt to what they're serving. But I also feel like as a chef, no matter what restaurant I work in, I'm going to make sure that I taste all of my food and make sure all of my food is delicious. But does that mean the next person is going to feel like that? Absolutely not. But that's why you offer salt on the side <laughs> if, yeah, if yeah, yeah. or, you know, hot sauce and stuff like that. But for certain chefs who know that their food is top of the line and that it's flavorful, they would actually say, no, it's perfectly fine. I've known some steakhouses that do not serve steak sauce because they say my steak is perfect and you will eat it just like this. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, Maisha, but you said something very uh, small, perhaps, but I've been wondering about all my life, probably, so I can't just let it pass. You mentioned seasoning the meat versus putting the seasoning in the coating or whatever. And so is there, explain to me from a trained professional culinary artist, what difference does that make? Because I've been curious about that all my life and most recipes I see have you mix it in the coating itself rather than on the meat. And why is that? It's because it's stages. Meat is just like skin. So let me explain it this way. So if you flavor, if you put seasoning just on your meat and you put it in flour that's not seasoned, when you fry it, the first thing you're going to taste is the flour and it's going to taste like nothing. Okay. If you remove the skin, then you're you're you you're also removing the flavor because you just put that seasoning just on the skin and that was it, right? So now you just sealed in your seasoning between two layers. So your actual meat did not receive it because it's on the skin, and then the flour is covering up the seasoning that you uh, rolled it in. So that's why sometimes you do not taste seasoning on your chicken if you do not season the flour. The next step, the reason why a lot of chefs that are very um, intellectual, they understand that when they do fried chicken, they either brine it or they allow it to marinate overnight in seasoned buttermilk. Right. And this is because a lot of people, believe it or not, a lot of people don't like the skin of fried chicken. I, I love it. Okay. I love my skin of my fried chicken. Uh -huh. But they understand that some people will pull the skin off of fried chicken and eat the chicken. And in order to ensure that every single piece of your meat is seasoned and delicious, when you marinate that overnight, even if people remove the skin off of their chicken, guess what? They're still going to taste those seasonings that you marinated or brined your chicken in. So when frying chicken, it is definitely a science to make sure that your meat is flavorful and delicious. And the step one is brining or marinating overnight in butter in seasoned buttermilk. Two, making sure that you also season your flour because your flour is like that top coat that's going to seal in all the flavor. So if your season is not flour, if your season, if your flour is not seasoned, it's going to taste bland. So you want to season all components of uh, your of the process. You want to put seasoning in all stages of the process. Let's talk about your books that you have coming up, uh, Maisha. Mm -hmm. Well, my first two that will be dropping in nine days. Uh, the first one is how to start your Airbnb and other side businesses associated with your Airbnb. And then the second book is how to have a car rental service uh, through Toro, um, you know, Uber, and a lot of more other car rental um, sites and stuff like that, but basically how to build up your own industry uh, in the car rental space. So those two books are already completed. We just finished um, 
solidifying them today and improving everything. Actually, it was yesterday, sorry. Um, so those books are already done, signed, complete, and we're ready to go. So those are dropping. Within the next three months, uh, because I just have a lot of things I'm doing in between then, so I can't get it done as soon as I want. But the next one will be my cookbook. It will be my 50 most uh, comfort foods uh, with a twist, of course, how I make mine. So that cookbook will be out probably by, I want to say, spring break. Uh, if it's before then, of course, you know, I'll keep you posted. Uh, you can always follow me on my social media links to, uh, you know, keep, keep in the loop. And then my last book, which I'm most proud of and was the most emotional, believe it or not, was uh, How to Survive a Toxic Corporate America Job. Well, let's let's start there. Give us a, a two or three since we're talking corporate, give us two or three bullet points, uh, Maisha, uh, on how to survive a toxic corporate America job. Well, I'll give you three letters, well, four letters that really sums up the entire book. F-U-C-K, right? It's an acronym, so please do not blur this out. Um, <laughs> F is faking unity communicating kindly. So okay. the entire book is basically circling around if you're in a toxic work environment, how to plan and execute your exit or how to fix what's going on in the workplace by doing those four things. And within the four bullet points, of course, there's a few chapters in each, but that's pretty much the entire gist of the book is about remaining calm and that's where um i learned to meditate because before i went to work um i had to learn how to meditate and calm my mind and spirit uh before surrounding myself with other people so there's a picture uh emerging here Maisha, of you juggling home life with three children getting them back and forth to school uh, you're cooking and doing some of the household things that uh, all parents, head of households have to do. You're writing books. Uh, you're mentoring and being mentored. Uh, you're starting up all of these businesses. How are you doing this? And I mean, I'm trying to figure out how many hours a day are you sleeping? Are you getting your proper sleep, Maisha? Let me ask you that first of all. No, sir. Of course not. I, I'm two, <laughs> okay, I like that answer. I'm, I'm getting two degrees at the same time, running six businesses, mentoring, mentoring others, and, and writing books all at the same time. But no, what I tell people, though, seriously, is we all have the same 24 hours. I just use all of mine sometimes. Right, right. And you mentioned uh, preparation, the spiritual aspect of life and what you're doing. I do know you have a, a regular morning routine. Why don't you share some of that with our audience as much as you're comfortable with your morning routines as far as preparing for the day and getting yourself spiritually, mentally, physically uh, ready to uh, take advantage, most advantage of your 24 hours in a day. Absolutely. So I start my day, sometimes on vacation, sometimes not, depending on what the vacation entails. But no matter what, I always start my day the same. I wake up at five o'clock in the morning. I meditate. I do yoga or stretch, exercise, whatever I need to do. Of course, you do your, you know, bodily care. 
And then, well, actually, I should start off by saying when I first wake up, I pray first, right? Like, we pray. And, you know, I'm, and I'm sorry for some of the non-believers out there, but, you know, it's just, I'm just giving my routine, right? So I wake up, I pray, I meditate, I work out, I shower, and then I proceed in, it's not, it's work, but it's not work. I make sure to check all of my emails and line up all of my replies first, and that really helps me out, believe it or not. Um, of course, I always check the stock market because, you know, that's where a lot of my money is. <laughs> so if you're looking for my wealth, you won't find it. No, I'm just kidding. But um, but that's where, you know, I, I keep an eye on the stock market, which is why I wake up at five o'clock in the morning as well. So uh, I do that and then I get ready for the day. So by the time my kids get up or even if I have to put out any fire. So if there's an emergency with one of my businesses, of course, I respond to those. But because I wake up so early in the morning and I'm calm, collected, I've already made my bed. I didn't already brush my teeth. I didn't shower. I didn't work out. When I have to address a lot of these things, I am so calm and collective and poised. A lot of people are like, how are you doing it? Well, I take care of myself first before I take care of everyone else. That's a good, good philosophy. Now, what are some of the lessons we talked about? And we're going to respect your time and our audience time here and try to wrap things up. What are some of the lessons that you are passing on to your children? And and what, do, what type of uh, goals and hopes you have for your children? There's, there's five main things that I have taught my kids to really move forward in life. But to make this a little bit shorter, I want to say I truly teach them to do not hold any grudges um, or anything towards people with the way that they treat you to allow that to taint your character or who you are in life. So sometimes people will be malicious towards you or do things towards you to try and get a certain reaction. And life, as we all know, is uh, 90% of, you know, your action versus reaction, you know? So it's all about making sure that you take control over your life and how you respond to things. And you realize that life becomes so much easier. So self-control is what I teach them. Being respectful, self-control, and accountability. Because when you start taking accountability for everything in your life, it changes everything. I agree 100% with that. So what are some of your goals as we look, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, uh, uh, Maisha, some of your goals business-wise, uh, personal, or whatever? Uh, you got uh, want to share a few of your goals with us? Oh, it's so simple. I just want to leave the world a better place than how I found it. And that's beautiful. And I do understand, and we had a conversation about this, is that, and you mentioned it uh, already earlier that you really want uh, not to accumulate wealth for just for personal expenditures and stuff, but to help the world be a better place. And I really appreciate that. And because, you know, one thing, and you talked about corporate, uh, once I got outside of corporate and got into just the mainstream world of commerce, just people and this money thing, man, and what, and most people that I meet, they want money for personal things and bling and, and big homes and, and big cars and things like that. It's always nice to find a person who's similar to me. Uh, I look at it for what I can do uh, to help other people. And that's so refreshing. All right. So uh, you got the book launching. I, uh, there's a rumor that you may even be in Minnesota uh, sometime soon uh, away from 
uh, down in Texas. I've heard a rumor there. Uh, is 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 that rumor? Is there any truth uh, to that rumor, Maisha? That is very true. I will, I, and you know, the last interview you asked me, "Are you coming to Minnesota?" I said, "Absolutely not." You sure did. <laughs> I had no plans on coming to Minnesota, but that's how my schedule is. And by the grace of God, that's why I love being my own boss and being an entrepreneur is that when people summon me, I am there. I, I'm, I'm able to be there when there's a need. I'm able to go. Uh, my sister, she's she became an entrepreneur overnight. Um, her spouse had to, uh, you know, he, he went away for a little bit and she had to take over his shoe business. And she was like, I really need your help. So I'll be flying out to Vegas to help her with her shoe store, which is so awesome because my son, he's actually in that field as well. And then, of course, with the whole Minnesota rumor, which is not a rumor, it's facts. Um, I was actually um, invited to the governor's luncheon, and that was not anticipated. So before I go to Utah, I will be in Minnesota for, well, actually three days. I will be there for three days to attend that and to, since my mentor there, um, she's one of the ones that helped me. Um, she's one of the editors and stuff with the book. So I decided to also launch my book in Minnesota since I'll be there the day before. Well, the two days before that it's launched. So I'll be launching my book in Minnesota. Uh, I think you're a very impressive young lady. You got a lot of things going. Uh, in fact, you got so many things going. I don't know where to end that. In fact, we're going to keep uh, the invitation open at any time as you go through life and achieve these great things. And I'm going to say, I know her. And I'm going I'm to say, I'm, see, can I get her back on my podcast to share some of her uh, achievement and her positive? It's just a lot of positive stuff and a lot of good ideas and share that with our audience uh, because uh, a big part of uh, my audience they just hear so many negative things, and it's good to find someone with a, a great attitude who has an attitude, I'm not going to let anything stop me. I can do this myself. It's all within my control, who has some spiritual type uh, a, a foundation, who have financial goals and wealth uh, goals and things, who uh, have uh, uh, being a great parent. So you got, you're the package here uh, as far as talking to our community, and I'm very thankful for you, Gabe that you gave us the opportunity to introduce you to our audience because they need to see people like you who's doing those type of great things and so many things that's quote-unquote in the news uh, is so much negative stuff. In fact, uh, and I'll just say it, I wasn't intending to say it, but it came to my heart and I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, one of my pet peeves, I tell people nine out of ten stories or more that you see on our people it's about racism and not about achievement and hard work and sacrifice and education. Uh, one last thing I did think about, and, and and I'll be derelict if I don't bring it up right quick, and it has to do with the, uh, you're writing a book on how to start a car rental company, I think you said. And my question there is, uh, uh, is this a good time for car rental? I understand uh you know, the brand that comes to most people's name is Hertz when it comes to car rentals. They've been struggling. Uh, the pandemic and the low uh, rental. Uh, Two-part two question. Uh, have your business, were your business affected uh, by the uh, COVID and all the downturns and things that was going on in the economy? And two, uh, do you, where do you see the car rental business going uh, given uh, some of the challenges that uh, Hertz have had uh, recently? Well, I mean, I, well, that's a, that's a two-part question. But uh -huh. the first part of that question is there's 
busy and slow seasons to every single industry, right? So you have to ride the wavelength of what's going on. So if gas prices go up, that's a problem. Gas prices go down, that's a good thing. So you have to kind of know the economy. You have to know what's going on. But there's ups and downs in every business. But at the end of the day, the reason why I wrote that book is because most Americans have an average, especially if you're middle class, you know, most Americans have three cars, right? Right. Um, and one is going to always sit there. So for me, um, it's so embarrassing to say we have eight, right? So why not put those to work? And I told you how that came about. Uh, not only did I already have Airbnbs and I was offering my personal chefs, but one of the one of my clients at the time that was at one of my Airbnbs, the car rentals were too expensive and they were not able to get a rental car to get around. So they was doing Uber and they just brought that up to me. And I was like, hey, well, I have a car if you want to rent it. They was like, absolutely. And that was just a whole nother stream of income. And that was right after I read um, a book and a quote. And it was uh, my favorite, favorite mentor in the back of my head. He doesn't know he's my mentor, but he's my mentor. His name is Warren Buffett. I don't know if you know him. He's, he's a pretty big deal in my world. But he said that a lot of people collect um, liabilities and think that they're assets. And then, of course, Robert Kawasaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he said, if you ever want to become financially free, you need to turn all of your liabilities into assets. And I really took that to heart. And I said, how can I? And I started doing that. I started turning every single um, liability in my life into an asset. And believe it or not, if I could have done that with my kids, I would have done that too. <laughs> but I actually did because I have a home-based business. So I pay them, um, uh, up to $12,000 a year. And they use that for whatever they want, school clothes, this, that, and I get to write that off and it's completely tax-free. Right. But right. it's one of those things where I learned to, how can I turn any liability that I have control over into an asset. And that's when I put my very first car on Toro and a few more other sites. And I made about $8,000 in two months. So keep doing what you're doing. Uh, don't forget about us when you're hanging out with Oprah and Warren Buffett and, and all those folks and stuff like that. And, and, and don't be and, and, and if I text you, don't be telling me to have my people call your people and stuff like that. OK, my show, but keep up the great work. In fact, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm sincere. I'm just amazed about all the things you have accomplished, all the things you're working on and all the things you're going to accomplish. And so keep doing it. And hopefully I'll get a chance to see you when you're in Minnesota. Uh, you have have a great evening. Have a great uh, dinner with your family. Looking forward to seeing you when you get in town. And uh, keep up the great work. You're just doing it out there. And uh, hope to, I'll, I'll keep uh, track of your career and what you're doing. Like I said, I know it's going to be some great things. So audience, uh, Maisha Dameron, entrepreneur, mother, chef, uh, author, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, thank you, Maisha, for being our guest. Most, most of all, philanthropists, okay? Philanthropists and servant of God. Uh, so thank you for being with us. And I really enjoyed both of our uh, parts of our interview. And let's not make it this the last time. So you have a great evening. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. So have a great evening. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right, thank you. <laughs>